the most important the, don't what do is it. it don't do it the most important camera yeah. is the one you have on you <laughs> yeah which is a load of crap the girls well Hello and welcome to Denoising Creativity. I'm Jake and this is George. Hello. And this week we're going to be talking about gear. We're going to be talking about some of the latest releases, uh, specifications, a little bit on prices. And we're also going to touch on what you need to get started and whether the gear you buy affects how good you are as a photographer or filmmaker, whatever you are. More importantly, Jake, we're, we're going to be talking about the hot topic. And I mean that in both senses of hot the r5 and the a7s3 and the debate between between them and the whole controversy around the r5 and the whole ah it's just a good time it is a very good time to be talking about gear because it's yeah as i said last week it's 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 there's a lot that's come out in the last few few weeks and months that is just industry destroying uh that no one expected the first of which, as you mentioned, the R5, that shoots 8K. Yeah, like 8K in a in a mirrorless camera. Um, why? Why would anyone need that? Like, I, I get it. Um, I get I get having the ability to be able to do that is quite nice. But there's a reason that cinema cameras are so big, and that's because they like the cooling partly that goes into something like that you look at a red uh was it the monstro that's got the 8k sensor a full frame 8k sensor that thing you know it's a it's mm-hmm. a cube it's not a mirrorless camera it's a cube well, i mean technically it is mirrorless it doesn't have a mirror but yeah so, you get my point so the, like the kind of inherent uh disadvantage of having a small body like the r5 in a mirrorless size or dslr size uh body is you can't get that much in it, can you? You can't fit a fan in. You can't you can't fit in the stuff that has been developed over the years to allow these issues. I mean, you know, as a as a creator, I think having something like 8K available is great. And don't get me wrong, I don't think I'd ever use it because I'm I don't have the ability to store anything that big. Like the file sizes would be absolutely humongous. So yeah, I mean that's just an inherent problem of shooting anything that high res. Like it's just it's it, it's a certain um, there's there's a certain reason for shooting stuff like that. That if it's going on a massive screen or something like that. But for the, for the vast majority of people, where their content ends up on the internet and shown on a phone, it's it's not pointless, but it's just a bit excessive really it is especially when half the things that are delivered professionally aren't delivered even in 4k 4k is a tool more than a delivery method these days and i'm sure it will change but so having 8k and 4k is actually quite beneficial from a creative standpoint and some people argue both ways like some purists will say that you shouldn't crop in post you should get your composition right the first time i see i see the argument there but as a creative, it allows for a margin of error, it allows for correction, it allows for one camera to be two cameras, let's say, because you can crop in with that extra resolution. So having something like 8K or 4K can be beneficial in a 1080p world, which we are still in. We're, you know, we're still transitioning to 4K. Not everyone does it. 
um, especially with people constantly viewing on their phones. Like most people consume media on these devices that have like 5.6, six inch screens, you know, note from Samsung, what's that seven inch screen? You're not going to appreciate the extra sharpness from 8K downsampled to either 4K or 1080 on YouTube. There's a chance you, you will see the benefit of, of downscaling things, but given the cost of the thing and the yeah. cost of the native glass, oh, 100%. it's not worth it by any stretch. And I the think. cost of storage, it's so expensive. Um, I shoot in five to one most of the time, sometimes eight to one, depending on how I'm feeling mostly, on my Pocket 4K. And a YouTube video will be 40, 50 gigabytes of raw file. Yeah. And you've got to look at people like MKBHD shoots everything in 8K on a Red Monstro. And you've got to think, obviously he's a big YouTuber, he has the money to do it. Downsamples it to 4K or 1080p. And you can tell, don't get me wrong, when you're watching it on a 1080p screen, you can tell the sharpness is there. The quality of his production is incredible. So I can see the benefit there, but in a mirrorless camera, I am wondering why. Yeah, I, I get. I, I mean, if if the industry had gone with it and Sony had released an 8K camera as well, instantly that would be pervasive, and that would be everyone would have one, and it would be kind of it would work its way into the industry and into workflows. Hundred percent daily. Yeah, but I think that because only Canon have released an 8K camera. And obviously there's 6K cameras and all, all sorts. Everything exists already. And and as we're going to talk about in a minute, like the Ursa with 12K, that's almost a much bigger jump that it is worth it because it's got other merits. But 8K just seems like a bit of a middle ground that doesn't really help a lot in a lot of ways. Yeah. Whereas 4K, you literally, like you say, and with 8K obviously, but you can, you can recompose your shot. You can now obviously shooting everything raw. Yeah. You can re-expose your shot. You basically just do the shoot after you've shot it. But the, yeah, you're right. There is the element of shooting anything like that. If it's not delivered in that uh, format, then it it's cheating yep. and it takes away the craft. And it does a bit because I've been on many shoots where the director has said, shoot it 4K. Cameraman says, do we need to? Because you know, obviously it's a storage mm-hmm. thing and it's a it, it affects the whole day because of data transfer and all this stuff. And the director said, yeah, I want to shoot it 4K because um, I want the option to punch in. Whereas, you know, the cameraman's saying we should change the lens to punch yeah. in because it does give a better look. 100%. It's sharper. Yeah, fo- different focal length gives a different feel. Yeah, and it's it's the technically proper way to do it. Yeah. But a lot of the time, you haven't got time to change lens. No. You, you, you might have 15 minutes with a CEO and you've just, you, you can make a much better edit from a yep. 4 or 8K shot than you can standard 1080. Yep. And let's take this out of the studio and bring it into outside filmmaking. And let's talk about, say, someone who films wildlife stuff, maybe a stock footage wildlife mm-hmm. videographer or something. Having 8K will allow you to worry more about making sure that if you're not using autofocus or you're worrying about something else, you can worry about something else other than framing up your shot because you know that you can punch into 4K to get closer to that subject and still retain as much detail as most of the competitive stock footage on the market, let's say. But also for, you know, not just stock footage, for very uh, for a very broad range of creators. Um, but this is 
all well and good us talking about the R5 doing 8K because it can't, because it overheats. It, in practice, it's actually, you. It, it's not useless in, really, but it's very hindered. But how often does it overheat? Every 20 minutes. At what point does it over- So, well, Why would you shoot 20 minutes of 8K solidly? You probably wouldn't shoot 20 minutes of 4K or 1080 unless no, it's no. just a long interview. No, no. It's 20 minutes hmm. of it being on. What, in total? Not of it recording. What, just set to As 8K? soon as you turn it on in 8K, it starts to heat up. After about 27 minutes, if you don't record, right. it will shut off because it's overheated. <laughs> if you record, it goes down to about 20 minutes, right? And then you have to wait a, like a few hours for it to cool down. So... Well, at that point, it is absolutely ridiculous. It's, it's absolutely stupid. Now, yeah. you know, there are plenty of... Um, there are plenty of people out there on the internet that are doing in-depth investigations into this. And actually, some of the stuff that has come up recently has been that it's not as plain as it seems as to why it overheats. Um, right. But from it, you know, and I'm sure you can attest to this, you've been on shoots like this. Mm-hmm. You can't use that camera in a professional setting if the overheating happens when it's in standby. Because you can't, no, no you chance. can't frame, you can't focus, you can't, you can't do anything. You can't do that. You can't ask the cameraman or the DP to change his angle. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like it's, it's not going to happen because the camera's just going to overheat. Had Canon just not tested it, is that the moral of the story? I don't know. I, I think they had tested it, and I think they assume it's going to be fine. And I. Th- I am. I have a hunch they'll iron it out with firmware because, from the testing that I've seen done, I don't think it's a hardware issue. I think it is a software limitation that is a little bit too stringent, in my opinion. From what I've seen, there is something in the software that is causing it to have overheat protection. That's what it's called, overheat protection. It's not overheating; it's overheat protection. It hasn't got to that point yet. It's being protected yes. from overheating. Yeah, and I think it's a little bit too stringent. And it's again, it's not clear exactly why it's doing it. So I think Sony, by not going 8K, mm. and, you know... They protected themselves from having to deal with that problem. Sony have learned. So someone interestingly said that, um, you know, Sony were the ones with all the problems five years ago. You know, the Sony mm-hmm. A7S 2 I'm pretty sure that overheated, right? Probably. Um, there were. I'm pretty sure something like that overheated. I think the A7 III overheats at certain points. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you've ever experienced it. No, I haven't. But Canon's cameras, were, I've always been photo first and video second. And now mm-hmm. they still are, but the marketing for the R5 was wrong, which is why it's getting so, so much stick. But saying that, the functions that they've put in, they've now traded places with Sony. Sony are smashing it with the A7S III, the A7R4, mm-hmm. the A7 III, all of that. And Canon are now the ones in Sony's shoes from five years prior that are trying to play catch-up with a better system, basically, and are getting the stick for it. So, you know, it'll all iron out, but yeah, I think Sony going with 4K 120 as their big hitter in, what was it, 10-bit 422? Yeah, every, I think every, every recording mode is 10-bit 422 in terms I think, which is just... And wasn't Class. it 16-bit externally? Think, I think so. If I remember yeah, rightly, yeah. it was huge. I remember that much. Um, I, th- I feel like Canon have missed the mark, obviously, with the 
the R5, but the R6 seems to have hit the nail on it's the head a little bit. Definitely hit the sweet spot. Yeah, it almost feels like that was the camera they wanted to release, but they wanted to grab the attention of the industry by releasing the R5. I think so. And then, yeah, it seems like the R6 is is in line to be the competitor yeah. to the A7 III and Nikon Z7, is it or something like that? So it's, I think that's the one to watch. Really, um, I mean, it's the one that I'll be. But getting, the A7S III for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, when you upgrade, that's. Oh, that's one I recommend. And my final kind of thing on this for Canon is their photo cameras first, video cameras second. Yeah, yeah. They just marketed to the video community more than anything because that's a massive part of the industry now. One that they'd missed a little yeah, bit. Yeah, because they've always hindered it somehow. Um, yeah, you're right. The, um, the, the big difference between the two cameras and why you can't really compare them is the stills. Yep. One's 45 megapixels the R5, and one's 12, the, the uh, A7 III. But that's, you know, Sony are not saying that it, that's in any, any way equivalent. And for the for the vast majority of things that you're going to use your camera for, I don't think I've ever used 12, uh, 24 megapixels, really. And I haven't printed anything that big. And to have half of that, for anything, I, I think I heard that 12, well, I think for a, a magazine article, yep. you need no more than about 8 megapixels, yep. which like phones were doing six years ago i mean our phones these um well i know you got the p30 now haven't you the p20 pro had a 40 megapixel camera didn't it yeah it's just stupid but that but um, we'll talk about phones again another time but phones fall short in a lot of other ways but it's obviously not about megapixels but if if you want to buy the camera based on the fact you're a hybrid shooter of photo and video then you're going to go for the R5, R6 because it has the megapixels to stand up. And like I say, yes, you only need about eight megapixels to print in a magazine because I've th- I read something about using like an ARRI to shoot a video, ARRI Mini, but I think it's like eight megapixels. Yep. And then extracting the stills and using those as your photos. And that's fine. Obviously, that, that's one way of working. But photographers want more megapixels. They just do. But I, I have enough trouble on my old Mac... <laughs> Editing 50 megabyte files. Yeah, but that's because your Sony files are twice the size they should be. <laughs> Probably. So imagine imagine like an A7R4, which I've never yeah, used. Yeah, exactly. They must be like, yeah, like 100 meg each. I wanted one of those for a while as well. So that, talk about storage. That's, <laughs> that's one thing. Is 24 megapixels is a very good middle ground that I've seen things printed from 24 megapixel cameras, APS-C cameras, printed like... 10 foot yep. wide, wide and tall and it it stands up and it i mean this is another topic for another day but it's all about viewing distance yes and the vast majority of things you view like billboards yep. you're not stood next to so you, if you go to those they'll be pixelated they'll be noisy or whatever and um let's let's, let's talk about the main thing that people use their photos on and that's instagram yeah that leads back to what i was just saying that if, you, if you've got 12 megapixels, anything you shoot is going to look fine on yep. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube, anything like that. So thumbnails, anything like that. If that's what you want, a sick video camera, that basically a YouTuber camera, isn't it? The A7S three. Yes, pretty much. And it's a professional camera, well, obviously. It's, but it's both. It fits the bill for every YouTuber. It's a, it is still a photo camera if all of your stuff is online. And the reason for this... Yeah, that's true. ...is because 1920 by 1080... It's only two megapixels. Mm-hmm. Is it? Yeah. Never done the maths. 
1920 by 1080 is only two megapixels. You know, both of our cameras, the M50 and the A7 III, mm -hmm. are 24 megapixel cameras. They shoot 6,000 by 4,000. Mm -hmm. 24 megapixel. And as much as most of the time I use that resolution, I'll export it with a short edge uh, resize to 1080 because it's the best way to Yeah, avoid... you're never using the actual full readout no, of the sensor, are you? Just never. It's like as that I, I pull that into Lightroom as DNG, I edit it and I export it with a view to post it on Instagram with a short edge in a 4x5 mm -hmm. as 1080. Yeah. So an Instagram, in fact, an Instagram's not even 1920 by 1080. I think it's 1350 by 1080, I think, which is even mm. less than two megapixels. Yeah, so Mad. you make a good point about it's, it's a fantastic camera that fits every yeah. facet of your need if you just stick to online, and, but obviously people don't. If you're a wedding videographer, photographer, yep. you're probably going to have to print stuff at yep. some point if people are going to want that. But even then, a lot of that stuff's online. Yeah, and, most people, you know, most people are. And, you know, you don't get massive mm. prints done of that, do you? Uh, I, I, when I say massive, I mean like um, past yeah, a, yeah, yeah. A, A1, let's say. Um, I mean, I've printed 24 megapixels on A3 Plus, and that's fine. That works. You know, you can't see a megapixel. So, so if, if I was going to buy one, I would probably buy the R6. Because, controversial, as I'm saying, I shooter. Because I do want to print stuff, basically. Yeah. But I'm not going to buy one because I've, well, um, I've got an A7 well, yeah, III, which is you, as good as an R6. Yeah, exactly. You just don't have a flip-out screen. No, but and that is annoying. It has to be said, but obviously Sony have learned their lesson there. Um, and I do obviously shoot a lot of stuff vertically for Instagram because you get the most real estate out of your screen for yep. it. And I like I, I like that composition, yes. how that looks. But yeah, I think if if I was going to get another camera now, well, I wouldn't get one now. I would wait until the A7 IV yes. comes out, and that will that will have the new menus that the Sony have got. Yeet. I don't know if you'll get a. I don't know if you'll get an upgrade. I don't know if you'll get a firmware update. No, they've they've said it. they've said they're not going to. Oh, that's do it a shame. Which is a shame. I hope they hope they uh, get a lot of hate and then uh, change their mind, reassess their lives. Yeah, let's yeah. hope so. Because that is, I mean, it's fine. Because once you set up and you know what things are, you're fine. But the screen is annoying. It's and it's a little bit dim in daylight, like outside. Um, and I just had to change the, uh, like eyepiece for a long one that isn't so shallow to the body because yeah. I just didn't get on with it. So I've got a longer one that gets my eye away from the screen a bit better, which literally shooting last night with it, significantly better. Yeah, so like, like I say, if I was going to get a new camera, it would I would wait basically until the right camera comes out. I'm not going to, I would never jump on the, uh, the hype and get one no. because new cameras have come out. That's just silly. You, you need to wait till you've got the camera that suits your needs. And I Granted, when I bought my A7 III, I didn't know what I wanted to do necessarily, but that's why I went for an all-rounder. And everyone has that when they first get into it. Like, I didn't know that I wanted full frame. I just knew that I wanted something at the time that I could vlog with and take pictures with. And now I want something that I can take print quality pictures with that's full frame and has a flip-out screen. <laughs> so not much different to before, just a little bit more refined. <laughs> but that's you've, you've brought us onto a good topic there is... Part of like does gear matter is the sensor size. Yeah. And it's a big, big topic. And I don't I don't like talking about it because I've taken some of my favorite images on APS C cameras yep. and I still I still take one everywhere I go because it's small. 
and much cheaper. Um, but and, and, but I've taken all my professional photos on a large, on a full yeah. frame sensor, and I don't know why necessarily. Well, I'm sure you could discuss the merits, but I don't know why people are so obsessed with full frame because I can't. There's one in, Instagrammer that my mate showed me that shoots everything on an A seven A sixty three hundred, yeah. which is a few years old. I think it was the first A six line that shot. Um, 4k and stuff but it does overheat and it's whatever but it's got like a ridiculous burst rate and it's it's really good camera and i wanted to get one i just couldn't find one cheap enough and you'd look at his instagram and he's obviously got all the lenses he could ever need so fair enough um so full frame equivalents of 24 mil 35 50 onwards yeah and then so why do you need full frame so i uh I toyed for ages with the idea of getting a micro four thirds camera as my main camera. Not because of, not because of, um, matching it with my black magic or anything and then changing my lenses, but purely for size, like they're so much Mm -hmm. smaller, but the thing that you, that you don't get with a camera with a smaller sensor is that same level of depth of field. And low light yeah. performance. And the low light performance is kind of like one of those key selling points of obviously the A7S3 line and any real full frame sensor. And that's the reason that the A7S3 has a 12 megapixel sensor is because yeah. those pixels are bigger, physically bigger on the sensor. The sensor is the same size. That's the thing. A full frame sensor is physically the same size corner to corner. Mm-hmm. So the amount of pixels that you fit on it, the less pixels on a full-frame sensor, the better it will be able to capture light. You will get more light. It's a better low-light camera. And that is one of the reasons why I want to move away from APS-C, why I haven't gone for Micro Four Thirds, is because I want to be able to have, you know, still 24 megapixels, 20 megapixels resolution, I think is fine. But with better light performance and as such on a full-frame sensor. So that's the key one, really, is the light, low light performance and stuff. And at work, we've we've shot with GH5s for three years now, and they're absolutely fantastic cameras. You cannot deny that. But they are micro four thirds, so that has its limitations, as we discussed. You it know, it's terrible in low light, and you do get some sort of depth of field uh, sacrifice, if you want to call it that, which I don't think it is necessarily. But it's tiny. It's yep. in your backpack. Yep. Uh, you can film documentary style stuff. You can film event stuff. You know, it, there is literally no anything it, it, where it holds back. Really, the only issue is the low light. Yep. And but then to solve that, they released GH five S. Yes. Which is, as you were saying, it's the same real estate on the uh, the actual sensor. Yep. But the pixels are bigger. The megapixels are lower. So you get better low light performance. Yep. It's collecting more light. And uh, I've got to say, like, I've really kind of underrated the low light performance as a selling point of cameras until quite recently. I don't really mm-hmm. shoot a lot of gig photography. I know you quite enjoy gig photography and I've that kind of stuff. bit now, yeah. That kind of stuff. Um, it's not really my bag, but for me, mm-hmm. uh, like nighttime performance was yeah. something I've noticed. And um, also, being someone who likes to photograph 
my pets obviously needing a high shutter speed. I don't want to crank the ISO too much. Therefore, the better light performance is always enjoyed. That's for sure. Um, with something like that, you've got what the Sony A7S III with 12 megapixels. I think it was 12.1. Um, mm-hmm. And then you've got to think something that doesn't shoot stills. You've got to move away from that megapixel idea to the the Ks, as it were, the focus on the Ks. And you've got something like we mentioned earlier, the the Blackmagic Ursa 12K, which is ridiculous. Yeah, like 12K, but it's like what is it, eight megapixels? I think per per frame, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, we said it was. So obviously, like you're capturing eight megapixel frames in fast succession, which is a lot different to capturing like a 20 megapixel frame not at, say, 60 frames a second. What was it? It could do 12K 60, couldn't it? Or was it 12K 30? I can't remember. Google it. So whatever it did, if you think about if you think about capturing 8 megapixels that often for a long time, there's a reason why these cameras, these cinema cameras, are so big and have so much cooling in them. But then you've got to think... Exactly, yeah. Like, the Ursa 12K, in the same way as... You know, we said why 8K on the R5. Red haven't done 8K. Canon haven't done 8K on their C line. Why on earth have Blackmagic decided that 12K is something that the industry needs right now? I get like advancements in imaging technology and all of that stuff. Mm. But do we need 12K from a cinema point of view? I would say, so I don't think we need 12K. I think it's a gimmick. Um, Well, we certainly don't need it. But... I think it's nice to have, and if you watch the all the release videos yeah. and the promo and stuff for it, you can you could go stand on a mountain and punch in ten different shots and make an edit from one shot. Yep, you can. And you can do that in four K. In theory, yeah, not well, yeah. not to such a success, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, you've got more to play with, and I'm sure it's got its its downscaling formats for everything below it that will make it sharper and whatever. But we don't need it. We don't. You just don't need it. I mean, and that's not even just us talking from a prosumer level. Like, you've got to think, Mm -hmm. no one, no no hobbyist or someone who doesn't do film full-time, I say film, like video full-time, is ever going to own one of those cameras. It's only 10 grand as well. Like, let's be honest here. 10 grand is not a lot when the EOS R5 costs four and a half. Right? Yeah, yeah. You get 10K. More Ks. 10K for a 12K camera versus, yeah. you know, the R5. Y- you're, if your thing is video, you'd go for something like that. Mm. I mean, personally, I'd go for the Pro 4.6K, but, you know, the, the, the 12K one yeah. is future-proofing you for a very long time because Blackmagic are phenomenal with their updates. We're still in a, a phase where, and it's not not a phase. It's a it's the way the industry is where everything, uh, professionally and unprofessionally, is being shot on the likes of FS7 yep. and stuff in 4K, and that's a very nice 4K out of camera. It is a nice 4K. I like that camera. Um, but you have to agree that the industry has got to move on. Oh yeah, and for sure. If these manufacturers don't release the eight and the twelve Ks. No one gets anywhere. Uh, probably the 4K and the 1080 gets amazing, and it, it is already. But you've got to, someone's got to do something to push things ahead. And then eventually, 
when those cameras are in circulation and people have used them and stretched them to their limits yep. and melted them on the inside, you'll see that you'll see the merits for them and you'll see what we can do with them. And obviously black magic are fantastic as well. And if I was a video bloke only, I'd certainly be black magic through and through. Yep. But yeah, I mean, I don't think 12K is going to be flooding the market anytime soon. I think it is a bit of a gimmick. No. What you say there about um, the industry needing to move on. So this mm. this is a really interesting topic for me um, because if you think about um, if you think about lighting, this is a, something we've touched on before. Um, mm-hmm. You see on YouTube everywhere, every YouTuber is shouting about things like the lights from Aperture, the LED lights, um, and the stuff from Godox. You know, brands like that that are offering LED lights out. You know, for me, that's ideal. Something that could be bicolor or RGB, something with a small footprint that doesn't overheat. And then, yeah. you know, when we were talking about some of this stuff and then you, your response was, yeah, but, you know, tungsten is just the industry standard. It's just better. It's just... Didn't say that. I'm pretty sure that's what you said. Wouldn't say that. I'm pretty sure that's what you said. That's a very bold statement to make. Pretty sure that's what you said. You have to find that on WhatsApp or something. No, it was in a, it was in a voice call, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure we were playing um, Warzone or something. Probably. No, I, I could see why it would be, but I don't think it's... Well, not, no one colour temperature is better than another. It doesn't work that no, way. No, it was... It, we, it's what it's we were circumstantial. Talking about, we were talking about things like having the remote controls and all that kind of stuff. To, like, turn all the lights on okay, and stuff. Right, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I think what I might have said is the there's an element that older lights that are like Aries... Yes. With, fixed lamps yes. and fixed colours are better because they're still used on movie sets and stuff. Yep. But I think it's a generational thing, partly. And I'm not denying they're great because we use them at work and they're fantastic. But um, I, th- I think what what those t- style lights, which are fixed colour and, and fixed brightness, um, what they encourage is more craftsmanship. Yes. Whereas... The lights that you can get, like a campfire lighting effect from, it takes away the crafting a, a campfire yeah. look in camera. You know, or, well, in, or you get the uh, in your lighting rather than just with one. Or light. you get the what is it? The quasar science asterolites. Not a clue. I think they're called. I think the asterolites. They're like tube lights, and you get and you get the same thing with the. Um, oh yeah, yeah. With some of like you know falconized stuff and aperture stuff, where they've got like the police car effects. They're all designed. This kind of stuff is designed yeah. for the smaller production and the smaller teams. They're designed for people who can't have gaffers yeah. and the like on sets to yeah. do those things for them, yeah. and and they don't have the budgets. And if you can get a two hundred quid light that flickers when you want it to, yep. yeah, why not? Exactly, great. But they're not going to be used, and they probably are used on movie sets, but they're not generally used on movie sets. And maybe it is, like I say, a generational thing. And as time goes on the people that are our age using those things for their YouTube videos will be moving into uh, high-end cinema, yeah. maybe, and then use those things because that's what they've been raised knowing. But I do think, certainly when, when we've used the... We've got four rotor lights, but um, they look fine. I'm not bashing rotor light here. I, I like them, but there's something about them that's just nothingy. You know. It's just light. Whereas if you, if you, if you spend nice time bouncing light and bending light and filtering light and stuff, 
crafting your light more. Yeah. And you can do that with router lights and other LED panels are available. Um, <laughs> but if you spend that time, I think you feel better about the shot. Yep. And I think, or the camera does. I, th- I think it does tend to look better bounced and stuff like this. So I think personally, if I had a massive studio to shoot stuff in, I'd do that. But a lot of the time you're shooting in a office block and you can get one LED yeah. in and no other people in the room. And that's your limitation. Yep. And I think a lot of that then goes into the experience of the people on the production. So like at a, hmm. at a lower level, having all of these like fancy abilities and lights and cameras and stuff is all great. But when you get to a certain level, it stops being about the gear and it starts being more about the person behind the gear, whether that's lighting, whether that's cameras or whatever. You know, Hmm. someone with, you know, I could quite easily say that something I would shoot on an 800 pounds prime lens versus something someone shoots who's more experienced than me on a 50-pound prime lens, theirs would look better. I would quite comfortably wager that. Yeah, a million percent, obviously. Like, I... Because it's experience. I think there's a lot to be said about the whole gear conversation. You know, this whole episode's been on gear. But let's not forget that it doesn't... At at a certain point, it, it stops mattering, yeah? Like, mm-hmm. yes, you need you need you need gear to be able to create stuff, but at a certain level, that stuff just kind of like stops being like any better, and you didn't really need to get that other than to you know wave your dick around. Like, if you if you think <laughs> if you think about um what we were talking about with with megapixels, for instance, right? Yeah, someone who is experienced as a landscape photographer right mm-hmm. could get away with a lower megapixel camera say an a7 III 24 megapixels rather than an a7 r4 they're doing prints because they know that yeah, yeah. there are ways around the lack of megapixels whether or not it's creating <laughs> a high definition image through panorama in lightroom whether or not it's through yeah. creating a hdr whatever there are ways around it at some point it stops being about the gear and it starts being more about you as a creator, whether you're a photographer or a So gaffer. I think what you say about a 50 quid lens versus an 800 pound lens, I, I think it's important to think that when you buy that first nifty 50. Oh God. Um, Don't, I've, for, still got, I've, still quid, got, uh, I've still got PTSD about that freaking nifty 50 that I own. It's the worst. There's nothing wrong with it. It's the worst. There's nothing wrong with no, it. No, there is. Right. Um, I would... Sh- I, uh, yeah, the next time we go out to shoot together, post-COVID, I will show you why there's something wrong with it, right? Basically, okay. it's, it's, it's bad for focusing. Yeah, because it's made of plastic and hope. And the, th- and the throw is like two centimetres. My point is, cheap gear is fantastic because it allows you to... And we both got the same 10 to 20 Sigma cheap Oh man, I love that lens. The reason that, like, you could spend, say, you've got a 10 to 20 Sigma that's for a crop lens, crop body. And I've, I use it on my full frame A7 III in APS-C mode, granted, because I didn't want to spend a grand or whatever it is on a 
well, either a Canon 1835 or, you know, a Sony G Master equivalent. Because yep. no one's got that cash. Or even like, what, what is it, the Sigma, you know, they do a more expensive, like 11 mil or something like that. Like, the, I think yeah, the equivalent they do... in full frame, um, like numbers wise, not translation wise, would be like the, the Canon 11 to 24, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and that's that Sigma... expensive, man. That's so uh, expensive. Yeah, and, and this lens we both got is very old as well. There's yes. a there's a newer version that's uh 3.5 f 3.5 so you know all you the know. way through yeah yeah get brighter image and stuff so I think yeah gear does very much matter because gear is what enables you to do the thing you want to do Definitely. Um, but the quality of the gear isn't as important and I think I don't think anyone ever gives an answer like that on, on the internet when they talk about gear I think people go oh no gear doesn't matter you you can use your phone. The most important... The, don't what do is it. it. Don't do it. The most important camera yeah. is the one you have on you. <laughs> yeah, which is a load of crap. You might have your phone on you, but don't forget, you're not going to use that phone to take a massive... You're the one who says the most important camera is the one who's got, you've got on you. Yeah, I say that. And, the, you know, I carry around my P20 Pro, which is a 40 megapixel phone camera, and I never take any photos on it. Exactly, because it it's crap. Good. Yeah. yeah. And like I said in the last episode that... When I got my first camera, I took it with me everywhere. I still do. I've, you know, I've just streamlined what I take and I know what I want. When I'm always working in London and stuff, it's good, nice to have. It's interesting that you mentioned the the crop, the APS-C crop on your A7S, sorry, your A7III. Um, that Sigma lens, like we say, is phenomenal. And it was like 100 quid. And I use that Sigma lens on my M50 with my speed booster and I crop in after the fact. Because obviously you're using a, yeah. an APS-C lens on full frame, essentially, with that speed booster. And what you end up with is a massive black ring around the edge. Now, I've, I've got the adapter just to keep it APS-C, but use EF glass on an EFM system. I just never bothered taking it with me. It's just another thing to take. But, um, and you get a stop, stop extra of light, I guess, Yeah. speed booster. So the speed booster is really handy. Um, but yeah, I have to crop in and post. And the amount... Of, the amount of cropping I do in Lightroom probably would annoy a lot of people. Um, essentially, essentially, with that, you're going APS-C, widen it out to full frame, and then going, oh, I've got an APS-C camera, I've got to crop it back in again. Yeah, pretty much. Which is which is sounds silly, but has its merits. Yeah. But yeah, it means that when you get it into Lightroom or whatever else, you have a massive, massive vignette. Yes, and it's... it's it's a vignette and a half. It's like, it's just a black ring. It's, it's, that's what it is. Yeah. It's unusable. That that content around the edge is unusable. So, uh, like, for and like, instance, like I say, I have it on my yeah. A7 III as well. Yeah. And, but I'm lucky that the A7 III has a APS-C mode where it just punches into the equivalent crop. Yeah, exactly. So I can still use it without having to crop. Yeah, so like cropping in terms of like photography, and I see this in frequent videos by specific YouTubers, I see it in, you know, Instagram posts, etc. And I think, sometimes I think you should have cropped that. And sometimes I think, well, no, that's the photo you took. So where does cropping being a good thing start? Where does it stop? Is there such thing as good or bad? So this is quite a controversial uh, topic, really, isn't it? Because it's, it's like, it's a little bit like brightening your image after or Photoshopping some oh, birds in doing anything afterwards for some people yeah, is a it, no-no. It's, yeah. Those people probably shoot on film and can't. 
That's basically what it is. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's just, that's a fact. Yeah, or they learned how to shoot when they were shooting on film. And they consider that because that was the craft originally. That's where it ends Absolutely, now. Yeah. I, I crop probably 80% of my photos. Some of them are significantly cropped. Some of them are straightened. Some of them are whatever else, just removing um, lens profiles and stuff. I would say that is, for me, is just part of the process. That's the same as changing yeah. colour, changing tone, mood, anything like that. And the style I've sort of developed, I heavily edit anyway, so there's no difference for me. Yep, same. And a lot of the time, I do like shooting abstract nature stuff. And if you're shooting some grass that's blowing in the wind and you have a really high shutter, you probably can't even tell what you're shooting. And then when you get it back to Lightroom... You probably realise there that you've got a cool shot, but yep. you've got like some random shit in the edge of your frame you don't want. So you crop it. What's wrong with that? Yeah. And I mean, you look at some of the edits that we both do in terms of colour. If someone is going to comment yeah. on, and this hasn't ever happened, like, oh, you know, you've cropped that or whatever, or if I've said I've cropped this, you know, and someone were to comment on it, I'm like, hold on a minute. I have cranked the hue of the greens and I've desaturated them massively and I've changed the colour mm -hmm. of the yellows and you're commenting on the crop. Yeah. It's like, hold on a minute, mate. Yeah, I mean, we've all seen the Pete McKinnon videos of him photoshopped mountains in and stuff. Let's not talk I think about that's that. A bit, that <laughs> I think that's a bit far. I mean, each their own. But he realises that probably is a bit far, but if it's what he wants to do, it's fine. Sky replacement is a big thing. I don't think it's a problem. What about you? Uh, less keen on it, but if... If you want to print a photo and it's got a terrible sky in it, yep. but you like the content, change the sky, yeah. print it, and it'll look really nice. But don't go saying, oh, this is how the sky was. Be honest. Like, the if line. you put birds into a photo, there's like the line right there. Just say you put them in, doesn't matter. At the end of the day, if, if someone doesn't like it because you put a, um, like physically press like on it because you put some birds in that weren't there or photoshopped a person out, yep. it's their loss for, for not liking the photo. At the end of the day, um, you are in control of your photos that is up mm -hmm. to you um you're also you're, you're the artist at the end of the day what you determine to be your art and as long as you are honest to that mm -hmm. that's all it is that's all that matters in my opinion that's my opinion my approach my process my art as it were is not just taking the photo whether it's composing a product shot editing that product shot you know pulling out uh, blemishes on things using the clone stamp yeah. tool, whether it's taking a landscape, a picture of the dogs, whatever, I will crop it. I will adjust contrast. I'll adjust saturation, colours. And all that stuff is part of the process. And it's it's the same as using artificial light. If you, if you think that natural light's better, then use natural light. If that's what the yeah. way you want to shoot your wedding, then do it. If you have it available to you. Yeah. But if you're doing a project shot where it's on a white background, you can need artificial light and you're probably going to clone out uh, dust spots on your lens and your sensor and stuff. Yeah. And is that, or maybe you've got the whole shot wonky, you crop it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I was literally, I was literally doing exactly that last week. Exactly. I was taking some product shots yeah. and I had to straighten some stuff up. And I've used perspective warp sometimes as well. I'll use it all the time. Because yeah. like, you know, sometimes just straightening it isn't enough. You just need to like, mm -hmm. you need to twist it around a little bit. Now, George, on the topic of does gear matter, let's pretend that you know nothing about any of this stuff and you want to, you want to get into it. And I'm 
an incredible friend and I'm going to give you 400 English pounds to start photography. I want to know what camera you're going to buy, what maybe it's a kit with a lens that comes with it and then what additional lenses or other stuff you're going to buy and why. I mean, being put on the spot to like answer that question is quite, quite difficult. Um no, no, we won't, we won't, we won't cut it. Let's, uh, let's get this. No. I mean, from knowledge, from, you know, just knowing roughly what models are around, I think if I was to look for something, I'd go for, it's quite, it is quite difficult because I started on an 1100D and I know that would fit in the price range. Um, and it, it was a good camera. However, I think... I would probably have started with a Sony camera. Something from the A6 line. Not 100% sure what I could get within budget off the top of my head, but I reckon like an A... Was it 6200? Is that a thing? I think you've picked the only number that isn't a camera yet. Bollocks. Sure, they'll add it in. But you've you've pretty much read my mind, and there's a reason I have got an A6000, and that's because it's really cheap and it's yeah. a fantastic like travel camera. If I had 400 quid in my pocket to start doing it and I knew nothing about it, I'd obviously ask someone who did or listen to something like this and find out. But I, I'd probably... <laughs> Self-plug there. <laughs> I, I'd go down the Sony route, obviously, even if I didn't know it. Um, but now I know it's great. That's what I'd suggest to other people. But um, I think what you get, you get a better kit lens with a Sony entry level. Canon ones are shocking. Uh, the kit lens I've got is fantastic. Yeah, the Nikon one is fairly good. To be fair, it's quite sharp. Um, what about a Fuji X-T1? Oh, well, that has put me on the spot. Because the, XT, the X-T2, you could get a body for 400. You wouldn't get a lens. What you might be able to find something somewhere. I don't somewhere. think you get a body for 400. I looked on eBay a minute ago. Really? Yeah, you can get an X-T2 body for 400 quid. But yeah, well, I had no experience of Fuji and then met someone who did and absolutely loved I love those cameras. the colours and, and the way they work and they, they look cool as well. You look sick using them. But what I would say is they haven't got the infrastructure like Sony and Canon have yeah. around them. Uh, the reason I would say Sony is because if you get to a point where you can't use a kit lens anymore because you're bored of it and you've it's just done now, there are very cheap primes available. Um, so that, that nifty 50, uh, I think you can get one for like 150 quid or something, which is fantastic. Um, I mean, I picked mine up for 70-odd quid. For Canon? Yeah. I'll talk to Sony. Yeah. You probably picked one of those up for 70-odd quid as well, to be fair, if you get an older one. Maybe. I haven't looked into that, if there is even an older one. But either way, the, the other thing that I think Sony's got above a lot of other manufacturers, certainly on that level, is because of the nature of the way they're built, it's very, very easy to adapt lenses to it. Mm. And I've got a shelf next to me that is full of them, that none, none of them cost me more than 50 quid. And I can put them on either of my cameras, and I think they're all, they're all full-frame lenses or whatever. And some of them are sharper than modern lenses because they're just built like tanks. Um, you can have a lot more fun with them as well because I think obviously you've got like the Helios and all this stuff. Man, I love my um, Helios. Some, so there's just a lot more options. And I think going back to like what we were saying about like our 10 to 20 mil Sigma lenses, giving you a very cheap way in to a lot of different methods. Vintage lenses are a fantastic way to do that because they're literally like yeah. five quid for a 28 mil 
2.8 or something. Yep. And um, I think that's what I'd do if I had a bit of cash in my pocket. I'd buy a few vintage lenses, maybe 40 quid's worth. Yep. I'd buy a Sony A6000 with a kit lens because it's very, very compact. You, you literally put it in your pocket. Uh, I'd buy some memory cards and lots of them because I fill them up quite quick when you start out. <laughs> and yeah, and I'd probably buy an, a sort of a long lens, like a 70 to 300, which I had from a Nikon, but I don't have for an entry-level Sony. Yeah, that's a good shout. The the other thing, obviously, if you, you can adapt vintage lenses, you can also adapt Canon lenses. So you can get very, very cheap Canon lenses yep. very easily, um, like 70 to 300s and stuff like that, which are, when you're starting out, really cool because obviously you've never seen a th- what is equivalent of a 450mm lens before and you take photos of the moon and it feels like you're there. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And it's really fun. Um, so that's what I'd do with my money. I'd spend 400 quid on that. And I'd, that's if anyone asked me, that's what I'd, I'd tell them. All right, so there's a bit about, you know, gear, cameras, latest releases, the controversy behind it. Do pixels matter? How many megapixels do you need? Doth gear maketh the photographer? No. Which, no, it doesn't. Let me just spoil that one for you right now, if you've, you know, tuned in right at the end. Uh, And uh, don't forget to give us a follow. Check us out on social media. Links to our profiles in the show notes. But until the next episode, we will catch you guys later.